coming back, right? We had some people share stories and victories of what took place at VBS, highlighted by a couple of our own young children giving their lives to Christ, Tane and, and Ziva, right? And we finished that Sunday morning with a baptism. It was a good, no, it was a great Sunday. Yes? Yes. In the days following that Sunday, I spent a lot of time thinking about those kids. We totally do it right at VBS. We start by teaching them, you know, the ABCs of faith. We give them the basics because at that age, that's what they can understand. And it's totally what we should explain to them. If we tried to tell them the whole story of faith, what it meant to be a, a fully devoted follower of Christ, if we tried to tell them that at the VBS age, we'd probably scare them. Because there's a lot more to it than just the ABCs. So we do it right when we tell them that. At Cannon Beach Conference Center, a couple of pictures I get to show to you. Um, this one is kind of dark, but you get, to see, you get to see the ocean in the background. You get to see people going towards the little river that feeds into the ocean. This is a, this is a Christian camp, and I've gone there now two years in a row. Not two years uh, with a year in between. And some of the families that go there have been going for 40 years straight, 50 years, generations of generations going to that camp. It's a a family camp. And I I don't know why, but I had never pictured this as an opportunity to reach people for Christ. Because I figured these are all Christian families that are coming. They all are growing in their their walks with the Lord. Well, about midweek, one of the speakers, the evening speaker, shared with us that the night before, a young man, 30, had gave his life to the Lord. It was fantastic. And then the Friday, the last, the last evening where we had a speaker, they got to baptize the guy. So this is, this is the camp going out to see him baptized, and this is the guy being baptized. It was fantastic. Now, 30 years old, I believe this guy had some other family who had been following Christ for a while. So he got to see some of the full story of following Christ. But I wonder, did he understand what it totally meant to be a disciple of Jesus? I think he's going to learn. Let's pray, and then we'll continue. Lord God, this morning we want to come before you uh, and and learn from you. We have stood and worshiped uh, in song. We've worshiped in giving. um, And we want to worship in the word. God, we want to hear from you this morning. So I ask as we open up this time that you would be the voice that we hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, as you're turning there, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, Jesus had this large crowd following him. And he took the opportunity to share with them the cost of following Christ. The cost. Now, by that, I don't mean membership fees. I don't mean secret dues that they had to collect at the door before following Jesus. I'm I'm talking about Jesus saying, hey, this is what it's going to take to realistically follow me. You heard a verse read during the service in Mark chapter 8. Jesus talked about carrying your cross, about dying to self. The cross was an instrument of torture and death, not fun. Jesus is saying that's part of the full story. You have to carry your cross. In Luke 14, he spoke of renouncing everything you have. The New Living talks about giving up everything you own. A different time, Jesus promised that if, if the world persecuted him, It would persecute his disciples also. The the word he used was really strong. If the world hates me, they will hate you. This is all part of following Jesus. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. Great book, but it'll wreck your faith and it'll wreck your normal life. It's all part of the cost of following Jesus. Could you imagine if this is how we started with the VBS kids? Hey, guys, we were just outside playing games, and we did some crafts with tie-dyes, and, and it's fantastic. Let me tell you about Jesus. You're going to have to die. You have to give up everything, your Legos included, if that's what Jesus wants. And the world's going to hate you. Do you want to come to Jesus? The full story of faith. What got me thinking about these things, it's actually twofold. Saturday of the, we were talking about three Sundays ago, the Saturday night before, I got to go and see two of my nieces baptized up in Twin Lakes. It was a neat time with family. They were up from Texas, and they took that, that time to baptize these two girls, 10 and 14. And one of the questions that the person baptizing them asked them was, if Jesus called you to, are you willing to suffer and die for him? It's a legitimate question. I mean, it's something we all have to wrestle with. It just kind of took me off guard because I'd never heard that asked at a baptism, especially a baptism of kids. But it's something we have to think through. Now, the second reason I started thinking about this full picture of following Christ was we have been, over the course of a year, looking at the pastoral letters. We've looked at 1 Timothy. We've looked at Titus. Uh, we've had some breaks for Lent and, and for Advent and, uh, and a mission vision series. But we've been looking through that, and I knew I was going to come back to 2 Timothy before the fall series kicked off. So I was reading through it, and I think that in 2 Timothy, Paul gives Timothy, this young apprentice, a very good picture, a very realistic picture of the full story of following Jesus. And Paul essentially says right off the bat that this is what he's going to do. First Timothy, or excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. And we're going to spend our entire time in, in 2 Timothy, so... If you want, try and flip back and forth to where I'm going these different places. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says, This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I have been sent out to tell others about the life he, the life God, has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. I've been sent to tell people about the life that is promised when you follow Jesus. So what is this life? look like? I can tell you it's not all unicorns and cotton candy. There's challenge to it. And for the remainder of the morning, we're going to let Scripture tell the story. So what does the life of following Jesus, what does the promised life of following Jesus look like? Well, it starts with this, hard work. Hard work. Chapter 2, verse 15. Work hard. So you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly explains the word of truth. Work hard. But what is it we're working hard at? How about this? We're working hard at God's call to be holy. We're working hard at holiness. This was a message that had been given to the Israelites years before when God first claimed them as a people. He says, I'm holy, so you be holy. And this is the message that Paul continues to give. Chapter 1, verse 9. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it. 
but because this was his plan from the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. God saved us and called us to live a holy life. Now, I want you to note, I'm not saying that by living a holy life, you get saved. You don't earn that. It's clear. It says God saved us. The work of salvation is done, and out of that, we are to pursue holiness. We are to pursue a holy life. It's a four-letter word, but it's a big churchy word. What does that mean? What does that look like? How do we get practical with living holy? Paul is good, and he tells us practically. One of the things we need to pursue is purity. Chapter 2, verse 20 and following. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are used for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you'll be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use for every good work. And here he gets super practical. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Run from anything that stimulates useful lust. Instead, pursue righteousness, right living, faithfulness, love, and peace, and enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Purity. It's hard work. This is a hard calling, running from anything that stimulates useful lust. You can't drive a quarter mile down division without seeing some sort of sign that promotes lust. You can't watch a jack-in-the-box hamburger ad without seeing something inappropriate. You can't go to a kid's movie these days, Zootopia or the new Angry Birds, without having some sort of sexual innuendo in that. Paul says run. It's part of the hard work of living a holy life. There's more, he says. There's more. We're also called to watch what comes out of our mouths. We're called to watch what we say. Chapter 2, verse 14. Remind everyone about these things, Timothy, and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless, and they can ruin those who hear them. Jump to verse 16. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. This kind of talk spreads like a cancer. Verse 23, same chapter. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel. If you remember any of 1 Timothy or Titus, you know this isn't the first time he said things like this. I'm convinced that it was an election year when Paul wrote these letters. That's why he has to multiple times say, don't get into those arguments. Watch what comes out. That's part of living a holy life. And I think it's a fair expectation. God saved us, so live holy. Now, what else? What else is promised when we commit to following Jesus? What else do Tane and Ziva and our, our friend from Cannon Beach have to look forward to? How about this? They get to look forward to times of abandonment. Times where they're abandoned. Chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 9 and following. Paul says, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Jump to verse 16, still in chapter 4. Paul says, the first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. But may it not be counted against them. 
I'd like to tell you that this was only Paul's experience in following Christ, that abandonment was only something he experienced. But if you follow Christ for long enough, and if you've talked to anybody who's followed Christ for any length of time, you're going to hear stories of marriages that ended because one started following Christ and the other didn't. You're going to hear stories of, of families that cut ties with somebody because they began to follow Jesus and, and they didn't want any part of that. You're going to hear stories of friendships ended. This is more prevalent in, in, in the global Christianity, but we see it here in the States as well. Abandonment. It's not fun. It's not pleasant. Again, imagine telling that to the VBS kids. Hey, you want to follow Jesus? There's a chance everybody's going to leave you. Paul keeps going. He says, here's the next promise of what takes place when you follow Christ. This is what's going to happen. When you choose to follow Christ, you're going to suffer. It's going to lead to suffering. Chapter 1, verse 8. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord, and don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison with him or for him. For the strength God gives you, for with the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. Chapter 1, verse 11. God chose me to be a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the good news. That is why I am suffering here in prison. I'm not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust, and I'm sure he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Now, chapter 2, verse 3. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ. Verse 9 and 10 of chapter 2. And because I preach this good news, I am suffering, and I have been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained, so I'm willing to endure anything. You getting the point yet? Suffering when you follow Christ. Paul says, you know what? There's more. Let me tell you more. Chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live, what my purpose in this life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, but the Lord rescued me from it. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Everyone who wants to follow Christ, wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will suffer persecution. Chapter 4, verse 5. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Suffering. Again, think if we let off with that at a VBS. I have not had to suffer much for following Christ, if, if any. I mean, I ran for student body office in high school, and somebody wrote some things on one of the posters I put up. That's it. I don't know how many of us in here have had to truly suffer for being a follower of Christ. We, we see it globally. We see people literally losing their heads because they're Christians. Paul says we'll suffer. It may look differently for different people, but when we get to that point, we need to remember, oh, th this was promised. Good. It's not fun, but good. Now, one quick thing before we leave the idea of suffering did you catch the heart condition that we're supposed to have during it? We're not supposed to be ashamed. We're not supposed to be ashamed. That was said several times. It's said in verse 8. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. In verse 12, why I'm suffering here in prison, but I'm not ashamed for it. Verse uh, 16 also, 
May the Lord show special kindness to, and I struggle with the name, Onisiphorus, to that, to that guy's family because he often visited and encouraged me. He was never ashamed of me. Be unashamed, but know that you will follow, that you'll be suffering for Christ. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul says, I've been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. A life promised when you begin to follow Christ. That's what we're looking at. So far, if what we've seen was the vision cast for you before you came to Christ, would you have signed up? Hard work? Holiness? Uh, abandonment? Persecution? Suffering? If, that, if they started with, hey, that's what's going to happen. Are you in? Thankfully, that's not all that is promised to us. It is not all unicorns and fairies and cotton candy, but it's also not all doom and gloom. It's not all terrible. There are perks. There are benefits. There are side effects. There are things that we get when we follow Christ. In fact, Paul calls one of them those things gifts. Chapter 1, verse 5 to 7, he says to Timothy, hey, remember your genuine faith. You, you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know the same faith continues strong in you, and this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. God's not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. We get gifts from God. Every single one of us that follows God gets given a gift. Here's the catch, though. It's not just for us. It's to be used for his glory. It's not for us to stick in our pocket and say, yeah, he's made me not timid. It's for us to use for him. Sounds a little bit better, doesn't it? We get gifts when we follow Christ, and it's for his glory. Now, we also get responsibilities, which are good. One of the main responsibilities we get is to remain grounded in the truths that are taught us, the truths that are found in Scripture. Paul says this multiple times in this little letter. Chapter 1, verse 14 says, Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. Guard it. If somebody has something valuable and says, Here, I, I want you to hold on to this until I get back, it means they trust you. God's saying, I trust you with this gift. Guard it. Now, beyond just guarding, we're to let those gifts, uh, those truths shape us, and we're to pass them on. We're to give them to other people. Chapter 3, verse 14 to 17. But you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they're true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So we're to use it, we're to pass it on. Back in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, Timothy, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You've heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on. Passing them on, it's a perk of following Christ. It's a benefit that we get. We know the truth. 
We know the truth. It's found in Scripture. It's Jesus. Guard it. Pass it on. Share it with the next generation. I forget who said it, but somebody said Christianity is only one generation away from being dead. So we have to pass this on. It's a huge privilege. I don't know how many times I've heard of like a grandmother passing on her wedding ring to her grandson to give to the fiancé on her wedding day because she wants that diamond to stay in the family. How much more valuable to pass on a faith that ensures that the bride of Christ stays in our family tree. We have a gift to be able to pass on to others. Now, in passing that on, I'm simply saying God calls us to share the faith. And Paul tells Timothy to do that over and over and over again. Chapter 1, verse 8 begins, Never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Verse 11, God chose me to be a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the good news. Chapter 4, verse 2, Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether time is favorable or not. The last part of verse 5 of chapter 4, work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. Verse 17, but the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. Speak Christ. Tell others. This is a benefit. It's a huge gift. It's an opportunity. And we should be honored and humbled. Now, I know, because I'm this way, that it's a challenge to share your faith. We don't know if we're going to have the right words. We don't know if we're going to offend someone. We don't know if we're going to be politically or unpolitically correct. Back when I was in seminary, I think it was 2010, for one class, one day, I sat next to a guy named Andy. On the table, Andy had a bottle. I'm a sucker for bottles. Okay? Andy let me see his bottle. He let me touch his bottle. It was cool. He even held it up and he flicked it. And I thought, that's the coolest sound ever. And not only that, Andy told me where to find this bottle. So that night, I took my wife to dinner in downtown Portland where I could get the bottle. This is the best brand of bottle I have ever had. From that day on in 2010, I said to myself, I'm going to convert people to Jesus and Hydro Flask. Now, I want you to raise your hand if you have a hydro flask. One, two, three. I see that hand. I see those hands. I see those. Look at that. Ten to twelve people in the last six years that are now following hydro, I mean, following Jesus and drinking from hydro flask. If I can get so excited about a bottle, imagine what we should do if we could keep Jesus on the table of our lives. Let people see him. Let people touch him. Let people experience him. And then we tell them where to find him. That's a gift that God has given us. An opportunity to pass on a faith. Two more promises that Paul says. Two more things. And these are the promises that capture the hearts of VBS kids and that capture the hearts of adults that give their lives to Christ. The first is this, when you follow Christ, the promise is that Christ has broken the power of death. He has broken the power of death. Let me be bold enough to say that the majority of us in here will die. Unless Jesus comes first. 
the majority of us in here, all of us, will die. So this promise is huge. Chapter 1, verse 10. And now God has made all this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way of life and immortality through the good news. Broke the power of death. In the last 10 years that I've been pastoring here, I have done way more funerals than I would have ever imagined. And there is a stark difference between doing a funeral for somebody who knows Jesus and knows the promise that Jesus gives and somebody who does not know that or has chosen not to believe that. A lot of you are nodding because you've experienced it firsthand. You've seen the difference. This is a promise that God gives us. Praise be to God that Christ has broken the power of death and praise be to God that he has given us eternal life. That's all sorts of perks that are coming with that. We may have got slightly scared at the beginning of this message, but it's ending a little bit better. Chapter 2, verse 10. Paul says, I'm willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. He's not even talking about himself. He's talking about everybody else he can pass this on to. Here's some of the perks, okay? Verse 11, this is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he'll deny us. If we're unfaithful, he remains faithful because he cannot deny who he is. Paul knows the perks of following Christ. He knows the challenges. As he is nearing his end, chapter 4, verse 6 to 8, he says, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Hey, VBS kids, if you know Jesus, you get to live forever with him. There's a prize awaiting you in heaven. We're going to teach you the rest of the story as you grow. A little bit more of a draw to that, isn't there? Following Christ is something that takes us on the highs and lows. I began by telling you the story about Jesus, saying that we have to count the cost of following him. I talked about the ABCs that we lead off with, with the VBS kids. And I talked about how we ultimately need to be told and understand the full story of faith. We need to know what it fully means to follow Jesus. I told you about my nieces who were asked that question if Jesus calls you to, are you willing to suffer and die? Three days after they were baptized, their aunt died. She had finished the good fight that God had called her to. It was a 10-year battle with cancer, 38 years old. These, these young girls, 10 and 14, got to see their question lived out. Now, that woman is experiencing the full story of faith better than we can even imagine. Someday, we'll get to know it too. Until Jesus comes to take us home, whether we are young or old, let's keep pursuing the full story. It's not always easy. And it's not always fantastic. But it is so worth it. First Timothy 1.19 
Paul says, cling to your faith in Christ. That's the full story in the highs and lows. Let's pray. God, I thank you that Paul is bold enough to tell us that it's not always going to be easy. I thank you that we have the story of Scripture that reminds us that. We all experience it. Lord, as we're, as we're seeking to follow Jesus, there are, are days and times where it is extremely difficult, and there are days and times where we are drawn into your presence with the hope of a future glory. You've promised to give us a full life now, but that doesn't mean you've promised to give us an easy life. But you've promised to give us enough. you promised to give us enough of you. You tell us, Lord, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow we'll have enough worries of its own. God, we want to follow you in the fullest of stories today. So help us to do that. And help us be willing to pass on this wonderful gift that you have given us. Because as we do, we'll get to see and experience the next generations that are following Christ. And one day while we're in heaven, we'll get to be able to know the full story. We come before you in Jesus' name. Amen.